Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me today with my guests, Allison Clay Duboff. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Thank you so much for having me. I'm deeply honored to be here with you. You know, it's a mutual affection. Why do I do that? I immediately put my hand on my heart. I don't know why, because it's genuine, because that's how I feel. And I'm just honestly, right now, I am looking at your website. The Allison is Real Estate. (laughs) Hello, can I speak? Allison is realestate.com. And what do I see but this fabulous face with this enormous smile sitting on a surfboard down at the beach. I mean, your personality just shines through, and I, I so admire that about you. And I thought our listeners could get to know a little bit about you. So, you know, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I have been practicing real estate in the South Bay of Southern California for 18 years. And I love it, and I'm selling the beach. That's why I have that (laughs) picture, which is actually a series of pictures. And it was a collaboration between uh, my late husband and myself to come up with these images. And I'm also a global realtor. I just came back from Paris where I was the keynote speaker um, at Euro Disney in (laughs) front of 500 agents and owners uh, in Paris. And let me ask you, my friend, that's bilingual, did you speak in English or French? One hour in French only. You know, that that's, you know, it's like, check, one other fascinating thing about you because you can speak French and you were educated also. Don't Were you educated in France? I did two years of university in Paris and um, my mom and I went to France every summer. But c'est la plus belle langue du monde. It's the most beautiful language in the world, in my opinion. It is. It, it, it is, but I, I'm just telling you, I, you know, there was a time, you and I don't live very far from one another, there was a time when I first started um, doing, hosting my show, where I was in a studio, where I was physically facing my guests. The good news was I was physically facing my guests. When that opportunity came to an end over four years ago and I started podcasting, it allows me then to have guests from anywhere in the country. You don't have to travel anywhere. You could be in your pajamas. Who's going to know? But I would just say that I feel your joy. I feel your passion when I look at this page of you. And we're going to be talking about your book. You've written a book. It's called Living with Veracity, Dying with Dignity. It's, It's a love story. I'm going to try and get through this without crying with you. Maybe you'll shed a tear or two in the process. But I thought you could tell us about your book, please. Okay. Well, my husband was an amazing man, and he was one of the bravest, if not the bravest person I've ever personally met. And when he was faced with a terminal illness, he wanted to, quote, go out with a bang and not a whimper. The thought of, of, for himself of being in a hospice bed and just languishing there until the end of his days was just not a possibility. And one day, our head hospice nurse came to me and said that, did you know, Allison, because I was speaking with her privately outside of our darling little 1922 craftsman in South Redondo. It was a beautiful June day, you know, a little bit more than a year ago. And mm-hmm. she said, you know, Allison, there is something called death with dignity and I thought and I said out loud well what is that and she said well your husband can put an end to his own life legally in the state of California 
if he passes some exams. He has to be approved by the main hospice doctor who oversees all of the hospice patients in the Torrance Memorial System, and he has to have a prognosis of less than six months, which he did have, and he also had to have his faculty, which he did have. And so I stood there in the beautiful, sunny California day with this information, which most likely I voted for, and Ken, my husband as well, had voted for back in 2016, but when you're faced with a terminal illness, you don't remember all these specifications Mm -hmm. of of life choices. And so I stood there for a moment by myself after she drove away with this golden ball of knowledge. And I thought, I don't want to tell him because if I tell him, he'll want to take advantage of this program. And then another second went by and I thought, it's not my choice. It's his body. It's his life. It's his choice. Mm -hmm. And so I walked into the house and summoned all of my courage, and I said, Ken, I just learned something very interesting. Did you know? And he did not even pause. He said, sign me up. Wow. Wow. You know, you said something that was really, I've I've been talking about you with family and friends with this um, show coming up. And what you just stated was what somebody said to me, which is, this is not something that you can do if you have dementia. Correct? This is very true. This is very true. Okay. And you and have I, to be I re- in full go- cognitive ability. Okay. I I really. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually taking notes because I think this is really important. For those of us that reach a certain age, I am also a widow. I want to be able to go out the way I'd like to go out. Um, but if going out means that I am fully demented, this is not an option. So I appreciate you explaining that. So let's go back to Ken now because this isn't really about me. I'd like to know, why did you write your book? What was, the, what was the inspiration for writing? You'd never written a book before, had you? No, I've been published in various publications. I also have a degree in radio, television, broadcasting, so journalism. Oh, and I've been I didn't po- know that. Yes, okay. I've been po- published in, from George Washington University. Um, I've been published in South Bay Magazine three or four times about our various travels, and then one last Mm -hmm. article about Ken's decision to benefit from medical aid in dying or death with dignity. But it's a memoir. It's a love story, as you said. But I would say the number one goal was to educate people about this possibility and to share his journey so that people that are faced with a similar prognosis can reflect upon it. But also in the very beginning, before the book was formulated, at night, when he was in his hospice bed in our living room and I, he'd be asleep and I would write because I love to write. And I wrote and I wrote. And I posted on a platform called Next Door. It's your community next yep. door neighborhood. And I had been very active on Next Door, especially during the pandemic when people were getting political and ugly. And I was always posting funny things. And so it was a natural place for me to post my poetic musing and Mm -hmm. I developed a huge following and at one one of my posts had over 600 comments and people would reach out to me and say Allison you gave a voice to my feelings I lost my brother I lost my wife you put into words what I cannot express you have to write a book and so I did well that's that's that is that's terrific. I mean, that really is great. And and I didn't know that background about you. Um, doesn't surprise me. I think that you're you know, and I you're you're something else. And I we probably have a, a lot of mutual friends because we don't live that far from one another. Um, I think it's wonderful that you were writing along this this journey that you took. How how do you? you could put this into words how do you want to affect others with your book 
Well, twofold. Again, uh, through education, that people mm-hmm. do have a choice. In 11 states in the United States, the medical aid in dying is a viable and legal option if you meet the criteria. Um, I would like to also raise awareness so that people can legislate for passing it in other states because there is a tremendous need and a desire to have that option. And then secondly and almost more importantly is that the medical care professionals in the realm of psychology and therapy can learn how to help us grievers who are left behind with a family member, a loved one, a partner who passed due to medical aid and dying because you know, I, I served my husband his last dinner, his last breakfast, his last lunch, all of his farewells. We had a date, August 3rd. We had a general idea of time. And so my grieving is very, in my opinion, is very specific and needs more precise training than just an, an ordinary um, therapist. So that's mm-hmm. a huge reason why I think this book is very important. I, I would agree with you. Our um, circumstances are very different on how I lost my husband. Um, but death is death. And um, and we all find different ways of, of grieving. And I think that that's just another perfect example of how other people can be affected. Would you say you've changed since Ken's illness and decision and death? I think so. My eyes are more wide open. Um, In the early Mm -hmm. days after he passed, I would look at our photos, and they are so filled with joy and happiness. And I thought, even though this is my second widowhood, my first husband passed away very suddenly of a massive heart attack in 2000. Uh, And that was a very different, again, type of grieving. Mm -hmm. Um, But it just... It opened my eyes more in many different ways. I've always been grateful for every small flower, every ray of sunshine. But I, maybe it hardened me and softened me at the same time. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I, this is, I mean, I think it's really sad that, you know, you've been a widow twice. Um, and I, I appreciate the suddenness of, your, of the first um, passing. Um, do you mind just sharing with us um, what what was his what was Ken's illness? Okay, so he during the pandemic, um, and I'll tell a, a nice story at the end. But we came back from an exotic okay. trip in twenty in March of twenty, and he mm-hmm. was having grieving issues. And we've done okay. a lot of far flung travel: India, mm-hmm. Vietnam. Uh, mm-hmm. South America, and so we thought maybe he picked up something, mm-hmm. and so we had some tests done, and through regular blood screening from his GP or his PCP, some some ratios were high, and so we had another test which led to a bone marrow biopsy, which led to a diagnosis of something called Walderstrom syndrome, which is a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma of the large B cells. And it was very indolent. There was no treatment required. It was in the very early stages. And so, okay, something else would kill him. So we carried on during the pandemic, but he got worse. And he developed Mm. a stutter because he was having breathing issues and he was having terrible uh, stomach pain. He was having leg neuropathy. Uh, He just was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And we went to, I don't know, so many doctors, every type of doctor, at least twice, ENTs, gastroenterologists, I mean, everything, infectious disease doctors, holistic doctors, and no one could find anything wrong with him. Hmm. And so we that were really getting to the end so of our road. That frustrating, right? That, it I was. Can't, the, it was. I bet it, it was frustrating. It, it was very Go frustrating ahead. and and, you know, the way our medical system works, which I'm not a big fan of, is that everybody has blinders on and nobody looks outside of their lane. And it's so machine-oriented, um, robotic. It's, it's really lost its human touch of looking at a whole person. Uh, but we did have one Walderstrom specialist at Mayo Clinic in Phoenix. 
and he said, Ken, I, I don't know how to help you. I, I don't, your symptoms, there's too many. I don't understand it. But there is a hematologist named Dr. Angela Dispensieri at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Would you like a referral? She takes oddball cases, and you're an oddball. Mm. And we <laughs> said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we flew out to Minnesota, and within 12 hours, he was diagnosed with AL amyloidosis which is a starchy protein that attacks usually the kidneys, but it had attacked his heart to such a degree that he was in end-stage congestive heart failure. And he had less than six months. So all that searching for not, and then it took just 12 hours with a very simple fat aspirate test. And I repeat myself, for which I was famous in his mind for repeating myself, (laughs) so that people, if they start having these, Oh, it drove him crazy. Um, mm. If they start having these symptoms that are unrelated and undiagnosable and they can't figure it out, ask to have a fat aspirate test. It was easy. It was just two little incisions on either, two little needles, biopsies on either side of his uh, stomach, and mm-hmm. a little bit of liquid was pulled out, and there they found it. So it was AL amyloidosis. And what but, was even more frustrating is that yeah. the starchy protein is kicked off by the Walderstrom syndrome that he had. So why people don't know that, I don't understand. However, said when you are expecting hooves, you don't expect zebras. I think that's how it goes. <laughs> oh, man. But, but how fortunate were you to be referred to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota? That had been a very... Um, emotionally difficult time for both of you and um, I like what you said about having your eyes wide open because you you were preparing yourself and Ken was preparing himself but do you think the fact that you had been a widow before had any effect on you this time oh absolutely I mean when I was you know, 34 years old, my first husband and I moved to Saudi Arabia with our daughter. And in order to go to Saudi, you have to pass a bunch of tests, at least back in 99. And he didn't pass the, the blood pressure test. So they, we were living in London. Um, so they wouldn't bring his visa until his blood pressure came down to an accepted level. And hmm. so they gave him medicine. His blood pressure came down. He went off to Riyadh without us for six to eight weeks before we joined him. And he was ex-Royal Tank Regiment, British Army, and he did not believe in medicine very much. And so he just stopped. And as a very naive 34, 35-year-old, I never thought twice about it. But I was Ken's advocate from the day that I met him, health-wise, and every other facet. You know, when you mentioned your first husband, um, I I use this... um, phrase a lot in my personal life which is you don't know what you don't know and sometimes you don't even know what to ask because you don't know and it wasn't like you didn't want to help your first husband but you just didn't know and um where this go around um you were you were armed with information and and that to me is a comfort i'm just saying that you know I can see where that's that's a difference. Um, I'm just curious, you know, what did you and Ken talk about after he made his decision? And did he make it solely or did you make it together? It was his decision. He never, Okay. I, I don't think so. I don't think he asked me what I thought. Okay. I don't think he asked me permission. He just said, I want this, sign me up. Let's get this taken care of. Um, and I didn't want him to do it. I will be very frank. I, I wanted him to pass in his sleep. I didn't want to have to go through with a final goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was his control. He wanted control back, and that's what he got. So I, I do try to go back and think about what we talked about. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, and this is the most poignant part in my mind of the whole story, is When he came home, he had spent a week in the hospital. He had been having difficulties. He was passing out, and he spent a week in the hospital, and and he wasn't doing well in the hospital. And the the doctors said, look, 
you need to go home on hospice. You're, you're on IV fluids. You're not absorbing them. You're starting to swell. You need to go home. And, um, and he was very depressed about going home on hospice. And when we got home and then we found out that he could do medical aid in dying, it was as if he was living again. He turned around from being depressed, staring at the wall, to planning his living memorial, to wanting to help me write his obituary, um, to bossing people around, coming up with ideas. Truly, when he found out that he was going to pass away on August 3rd, he began to live again. That's really that you know it's um I actually have his obituary in front of me um it is that's it's really it's a very compelling story allison and um um i and and when you you're drawing a picture for me, I'm just saying in my mind, you are drawing the picture for many of us are we've lost parents. Perhaps you've lost siblings or you've lost spouses. And um, I, don't, and I don't think that, um, that medical aid in dying was around some 30-plus years ago, was it? Not in its current legal state, no. Okay. Because my parents both died in the hospital, and they... They neither one of them came home on hospice, but you know most of us know somebody that knows somebody that that did. And um, my sister-in-law to be somebody I'm just thinking of now. So I'm just thinking, did you know about the medical aid in dying prior to Ken knowing about that? Did you did you tell him about it no. as an option? Not until the hospice nurse told me. Okay. Not until that sunny June June day. I mean, maybe we knew about it in 2016 when we voted for it, but it was Mm -hmm. the farthest thing from our mind. It never entered our mind. But, again, that sunny June day, I walked outside because I always talked about my husband's condition out of Mm -hmm. earshot, and he always would say, you're going to go talk about me, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. Mm And that's when I asked her, look, how long can he linger like this? I need to make plans. I need to figure, I need to figure everything out. And she said, well, it could be, you know, months he could slip into a coma. And that's when she apprised me of this option. I was not aware of it at all before. Was, is, that, is that another term for um, death with dignity? Is that, was yes, that another? Medical aid in dying or death with dignity, yes. But it's not the same. And so help me with this because these are terms now and, and you're educating us. There used to be a term that I remember hear, hearing, and it wasn't that long ago, I don't think, called assisted suicide. Is that different? Yes. It's totally – well, I'm not sure how other people will classify it, but this is definitely not assisted suicide because the word suicide is a desperate act done by a desperate person. And medical aid in dying or death with dignity has nothing to compare with suicide. It's not suicide. Thank you. I, I, I have a feeling you've just educated many people now by saying that. I hope that. so. It's important and because it, family it members is. and the people get very upset when there's a confusion between the terminology of that and assisted suicide because it's, it's not. Suicide is a desperate act committed by a desperate person. Okay, that that's that's very that's very helpful. And you had mentioned a little earlier um that and, and this is something else. This is so informative. Um I hope you recognize that you because people listen to this wherever they live. You and I are neighbors, so to speak, but people are living in all parts of this country and out of this country. But you mentioned there are only 11 states that um, that, that I have this. Yes, did I say yes, only 11 states that I am aware of. And I think one state needs a court order. Um, 
but again, I'm not the expert legislator mm-hmm. on how many states, but I believe it's between 10 and 11 states. Um, but in Canada, for all your Canadian uh, listeners, uh-huh. they very much go by the term made medical aid and dying. And in Canada, you have the option of doing it the way Ken did, which was by drinking on his, uh, under his own steam the prescription in Canada, or you can do it by doctor-administered injection. I see. And we don't have that option here in California because you have to do it of your own free will with your own physical ability. But in Canada, think- you can have it done by injection. So let's Which is much just say, quicker, much, yes, much quicker. I, I would guess. So here we are in California. We've got Nevada above us. We've got Arizona over there. If you live um, in Arizona and you wanted to make this decision, and let's say you have family members that live in California, would you be entitled to cross the state boundaries into California to do this, or do you have to prove that you are a resident of the state in which you are, in quote, living in? I wonder how that I am works. Not, I, don't have the, right, okay. I don't have the answer to it. I know that I did listen to another podcast where a woman took her husband to Vermont, and ha, or herself, I forget, and had to set up residency. So she had to do a lot of planning. But California, I'm not Truly, I don't have the answer to that. Okay. And, and you know, and I, I honestly didn't expect that you would. That is definitely a legal situation. And I, you know, I was just kind of curious because I, you are educating me. And um, and so I, I appreciate that. So, But I, I will and, tell you that through Kaiser, yes. through mm-hmm. the Kaiser Medical Group, they do offer um, medical aid in dying. I used a private company. Um, called Integrated Medicine out of San Diego that was okay. referred to me by the hospice department. And, you know, and and I believe one of the, one of the um, stipulations was that, first of all, you have to be able to do this yourself, number one, and yes. you have to have a diagnosis of, you know, as best as can be told, that you have six months or less to live correct exactly exactly okay all right so you know death is such a you know it has it brings so many emotions to all of us because you don't get out of this place alive so you either know somebody that's died or you're dying yourself so have you but in talking about death Mm -hmm. but in talking about death we it makes us talk about life Yes. In my evolving opinion. You know, the more we talk about death, the more we're going to be talking about life and how uh, we live I, life. You bet. I like what you just said. So would you say, based on what you just said, have your views about death changed since Ken's passing? Um, I don't. Uh, that's a tough one. I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. perhaps seeing him do this brave act made me a little bit less afraid of death, um, more acceptance of the inevitability of death, and that I think that death needs to enter into the conversation a lot more. I feel that we're a highly phobic death society, mm-hmm. and I think for our own peace of mind and our own broken hearts, if we could talk more about death and life and become less afraid and and less traumatized by it that Mm -hmm. it would just make it so much easier when our loved ones pass for whatever reason they pass i would agree and i'm i'm thinking about directives and is this something that those of us that do live here in california is this something that you would want to share with your family physician whether it's kaiser or whomever and say, you know, I just listened to this show today and heard about medical aid and dying. I now understand the definition of that. If I become ill and I am on hospice, do I need to discuss this with you ahead of time? What would you say about that? I don't know if you have to, but I would say definitely have the conversation with your doctor. Mm-hmm. I w- and your children. And the, the laws. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. 
Yes. Well, the, I was just going to say that the, the laws are changing, too. I mean, when Ken died on August 3rd of 21, um, the world for me stopped, and but it didn't. And the world of medical aid and dying and death with dignity kept evolving, um, so much so that when Ken was approved, he had a 15-day waiting period where he had to be re-evaluated to make sure that he was still in sound cognitive and physical ability to drink this concoction himself. But since mm-hmm. August 3rd, now the waiting period of 15 days is only 48 hours. Whoa, and also that's a big in difference. the lethal, yes, it is. And, and during those 15 days, he was very anxious. He was very afraid that he would lose his cognitive ability to a degree mm. that he would not pass. And so mm. he did suffer for those two weeks. But every morning he would turn to me and say, I'm still here, um, <laughs> with a you know, funny little grin. Um, mm-hmm. But also I wanted to add that phenobarbital has been added to the lethal concoction, which makes the passing um, a bit more, well, it makes it a little bit quicker. I see. Interesting. Was it just the two? Oh, well, I imagine the hospice nurse was there too. Was it just? Did she step out of the room? No. Was it just the two of you? No, no. We had a small gathering of family and friends before, and then they all departed. My sister, the death doula, and the nurse from the prescribing doctor's office was there, and another friend and one of my caregivers. Um, everybody stepped out of the room, out of our bedroom, except for the nurse from the prescribing doctor and myself and Ken. Hmm. If you were to find yourself in this same position as Ken 20 years from now, would you would you um, do this as well? You know, I've thought about it many a time, and... Mm-hmm. I think that I am not brave enough, and I think that if I was in desperate pain, I could do it. But if I wasn't in pain, and Ken was not in pain, I don't think that I could. To be honest, I honestly do not believe that I could be that brave. You know, those of us that are in our 70s and older that are listening to this, and maybe you're much younger and you're listening to this and you're thinking about yourself or you're thinking about your family. You know, I I think about how sad it is for people that are demented that really they're, they're, they're just physically there as a body. And it, it, it makes me so sad to know of so many people that have lost their parents or spouses where if they could just only, you know, can you stop giving them an IV with food? Can you do something that would, there, this is not life quality, which is honestly, I don't mean to make this about me, but I'm about to right now, which is honestly why I made my decision so quickly regarding my husband. When the um, attending physician in the emergency room came out, to tell me that they just could not regulate his heart, trying as hard as they could. They just were not having any success. And when I simply said, without hesitation, is he breathing on his own? And they said, no. I said, unplug him. I am so grateful that I had the opportunity and wasn't told that I don't legally have that right to allow my husband. I I feel so fortunate that the laws were just, they just just looked the other way, and it was a blessing. And I feel for people that can't make that decision for their loved ones. You say to your kids, look it, if I am just a vegetable, if I'm just laying Please, can't you find a way out for me? And the answer right now is no. Not if you can't exactly. do it yourself. That's, that's, well, that it was sounds very, very sad. Interesting. It is. Um, and I commend you for your bravery also. Uh, Thank you. But Ken, when Ken was in his hospice bed, before he knew that he could 
choose his day of death. Mm-hmm. He, sorry, he said to the hospice doctor, do people just lay here and wait to die? Because he couldn't walk. He wasn't mobile anymore. Um, if he I stood see. up, he'd pass out. He was very thin and very frail, and he was having um, increasing breathing issues. He was on oxygen. And he, mm-hmm. and he just couldn't fathom the fact that people, especially with their brains intact, would be just laying there waiting to die. Yes. Yeah. And so that's why he it, was so liberated when he found out that he, that he could make this choice. Yeah. I, you, you really have described the freedom that that gave him in making that decision because he was also giving you a gift because no one. You know what? Sorry to interrupt. No, I was just going to no. say that I think that if I had to choose the percentage of what he did versus for himself, I would say the percentages were stacked more on my side that he did it for me more than he did it for himself. That, that's, that's exactly what I thought you were going to say. This was an unselfish act. This was much more about you than it was about him. And that, I mean, I'm making these presumptions because I don't know that. Yeah, but you know me. Yes. His children were not on board. They thought it was way too too traumatic to be present. And he said to them, would it not be more traumatic for you to come and visit me in a coma, dwindling away day after day, week? Would that not less traumatic to say goodbye dad I love you say whatever you want to say and then say goodbye right sure it was hard there's no doubt about that there is no doubt about that I I I get it you know I I didn't say goodbye to my husband I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on with him why is he gurgling here right. in the seat in the Staples Center? I had no idea what was right. going on. It was a very difficult phone call to make to my children. But I know they would have been on board with the decision. There's no doubt in my mind. And as an engineer, and he lived by it is what it is, adapt. Do not live a life with regrets. It was like, well, okay, guess so. So I'm curious, do you have any regrets? Me? Yes. Um, I think about that sometimes, and mm-hmm. I regret that we didn't have more deep conversations. Uh, life on hospice with 24-hour care is very hectic, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's morning care, then there's this, then there's bathing, and then there's that. Um, there wasn't time in the day and it was very busy and there were always visitors coming and sometimes he didn't want visitors and I wanted to make sure that they had their chance to um to say goodbye and Mm -hmm. maybe maybe some of my regrets are maybe I shouldn't have let them come over maybe I should have had total silence maybe you know it's horrible to to beat yourself up with maybes but I I wish also selfishly that we could have talked more about what it was going to look like for me, what he thought it would look like for me. But neither one of us wanted to go there. He knew right. that I would be devastated. And we just, we kind of just didn't want to go there. From, from when the decision was made that you were, and, and, and the MADE made, uh, when, once that decision was made, how much time lapsed between making that decision and drinking that 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 solution well he came home on hospice on june 19th we planned the the living memorial for july 11th so he already knew before july 11th um i think we knew by the fourth of july um Mm. and then you know august 3rd was it was the day so it wasn't very long was that date chosen for any specific reason, August the third? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. You, is it is it uh, is he, it is it okay to talk about it? Absolutely. Okay, um, please. I'd like to know that. 
it was chosen because his best friend was in France, and he wanted him here with us uh, on that day. And so that's why we chose August 3rd. That friend was able to to join you, and that's nice. Yes. And his and, Oh, that's that's nice. You know, it, I haven't read your book. I'm going to be honest with you. Do you um, do you talk about some of that in your book about you know that like the fact that his friend came came out of the country yes. to visit him? I bet you do. Yeah. Well, no, his friend his friend his friend lives here also. Oh, but he was um, but he, he was, was traveling in France. I yes. see. I yes. see. So. It doesn't sound like maybe I'm making a presumption, so I'll just ask it rather than make the presumption. Did did your family and friends support Kent's decision? My sister had a very, very hard time with it, but I don't think she was not in support. Um, I don't know if everybody really shared their honest feelings. They were afraid, or not. Mm-hmm. So I'm That's not. I'm not quite sure. I think. I think his eldest son came around. Um, my daughter, my late husband's stepdaughter. I don't think she um, was accepting of that. Mm-hmm. Um, his youngest son. I'm not totally sure. I think maybe he did in the end. All right. It was. I think it was. This is a kind of a callous way to say it, but I think it was a mixed bag. But you know something, because it's extremely emotional. It's an it's not it's 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 not it's it's a it's it's an emotional feeling when you love somebody and you're going to say goodbye to them, and you know when somebody dies unexpectedly and you didn't even have the opportunity. I mean, yes, my husband died unexpectedly, and. Um, you know, no one really wants to see their loved ones suffering. I mean, truly, you know, if he wasn't even able to move around and talk and do the things that you all that you both really enjoyed, um, you know, I I know that you have some. Inc- you're a traveler, and I know that you have some incredible stories um, about Ken. Do you want to just? Share some of those with us. I would love. To, I would love to hear some happy Ken stories with you and him. Oh, absolutely. Um, so prior to this, uh, we were we were always trying to fulfill each other's bucket list, uh-huh. and we went to India on this gigantic pilgrimage. That was his big bucket list, and then mine was to see Machu Picchu and be on the Amazon. Mm. And so we we went to Peru. He he always wanted to make my dreams come true. He always would say, "What's my goal in life? To make you happy." Oh. And um, so we went to Peru, and full of excitement. But it was right on the heels of COVID, and mm-hmm. we had a, a couple days in Lima, a few days in a place called Carapato, and then we got on this magnificent wooden vessel, small with one other family um, on the Amazon and had mm. a day or two cruising down the Amazon when the president of Peru closed the country. And, what year was that? Um, what, year, what year was that? Do 20, you remember? 20. Okay, 20. Oh, yeah, March okay. of 20. Okay. And, right. um, and they locked us down on the boat. And oh. we didn't know when we were going to leave. We were stuck there. The country was closed. The airports were closed. Our friends were mad at us um, for going on the trip to begin with. Um, my sister was very worried. I was live streaming all the time to show my clients and, and our family that everything was good and we were making the best of it. Um, and then, then um, we were concerned about money, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. We were concerned about money. And because it, we had the we had the presidential the presidential suite on the boat, because we were only planning on spending a few nights on the boat. Yeah. Um, but now we were looking at two to three weeks or longer. We didn't know. Whoa. Whoa. And um, 
And anyway, so we met with the owner of the boat who was on the, on the boat with us. And we said, look, you know, this is not a cost factor that is going to be tenable for an undetermined amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so they negotiated and negotiated. And my husband, he negotiated a better price, <laughs> unlimited massage and unlimited alcohol. <laughs> so that was, What's that your was, name? That's what we got. <laughs> Oh, oh yes. So it was so funny. So we had Pisco sour classes. We would have a massage yep. once or twice a day. I mean, we were we were really making the best of a very scary uh, situation yeah. until we got evacuated by the State Department. Wow! Wow! Oh, that's an adventure, huh? And you know, oh, I, I frankly, I, I've actually um, been on the Amazon, and. Um, I remember um, we weren't able to get to Machu Picchu, but because um, they had closed down the way to get there, and um, oh. yeah, that was disappointing. But it was the mosquitoes, and you know, and <laughs> the, the and the dung- Oh, well, you know, what is it called? Dungy fever. You you yeah, you don't want to be fevered. yeah exactly you you don't you don't want that you you, you want to avoid that you know and you're in this water condition where they're like mm, there looks like a good bite of an arm um, you know so I'm just trying to trying to picture what that must have all been like and in March in that at that time of year were you were you in the 70s 80s what was your temperature like what 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 was that physically like I think it was in the 80s. It yeah, was hot. Th- it was hot and hot and humid. And when we departed on our aircraft, the Tom Airlines, when the State Department evacuated us, the mm-hmm. airport had no heat, uh, no cooling, no lights, no the toilets weren't working because it right. wasn't a, a traditional flight. It was right. a special evacuation flight. Gosh, but he loved oh it. I mean, we were in the Wall Street Journal. We were written up in the local papers. He just oh, loved it. Man, and he it, was and hilarious. He was very yeah, funny. Yeah, you know, I look at his face. You've sent me several pictures of him, and um, and you can read the joy on his face. I mean, clearly. And it and it wasn't just the two of you living in that house. What, there are some four-legged people in that house with you too, isn't there? Oh yes, our beloved Bouviers. Um, oh, one of them was eleven, and he passed away. He kind of knew that Ken was sick, and said, "Dad, I'm out of here," and he passed away. And then we had our COVID puppy Babu, and our French nine-year-old Bouvier um, Ivy. And thank goodness I have them today, because I don't know what I'd do without them. You know, and I must tell you, I love the cover of your book. Number one. Um, there's everything about the cover of your book I love, including there your little doggies are sort of featured in the cover of your book too. Is that right? Yes, and that's my living room. Yes, that's my living room, and that was the the artist. And I wish I had her name off the top of my head, but I don't. She was the artist that um, created the ad, uh, not the ad, the article art for South Bay Magazine about Ken's mm. death. And when I, when I published the book, they said, let's talk about the cover. And I said, no, no, I don't need to. I have the cover already. And it, everybody oh. loves the cover. Everybody loves the cover. Well, you, you mentioned, I'm, I, I, it was just such an enjoyable conversation. When my husband died so unexpectedly, just like alive, dead. We have to get off on this three-mile thing. Okay, so my my friend Allison is multitasking, and she, they are traveling as we speak. Bless your heart. Um, I'm looking at this, and my friend worked for Loyola Marymount, and one of the one of the things they did in this executive MBA program was international travel, which is what I did. One year to the day my husband died, I was in also in Peru. Just so you know. I have also been to Vietnam, and I have an affinity for the Buddhas, and I'm looking at that picture, and I, you know, it's just, it's great. I feel so very connected to you and your experiences. I I just, do you, do you find that because of what you've been on that you have sort of made additional contacts and connections with people because of what you've been through, Allison? 
Are you still there? Now, my friends, what I can, can you, tell can you, you oh, now yes, I can. I yes, I can. I'm here. There you are. So um, were you able to hear what I asked you? Yes, yes, so yes. I, okay. Um, so, after, my, after my speaking appointment in Paris, um, I went on an incredible trip, including the Orient Express, and oh, it was God. a trip to celebrate Vav Clicquot's 250-year anniversary. Mm. And um, everybody knew that I had been widowed twice and that I was mm. the poster child for Vav Clicquot. And everybody wanted to hear the story. Everybody wanted to buy the book. And it was just, it was incredible. I yes. had a lot it, of friends and a lot of yes. people and touched a lot of lives, I think. I believe that's true. I mean, I had no intention of ever being a podcaster, you know. We were supposed to just be married people. And um, how, old, how old was Ken when he passed, if you don't mind me asking? 69. Okay, so he was he was seven years older than my husband. Um, but, you know... Sometimes these things happen and we don't we don't have options. And I think that what you're doing how well let me ask you, I think I know my opinion about this, but how do you think you can help others? I am always an open door. People can call me, they can write to me. I want my story to be made into a movie. Yep. Because I think that way people can see the journey, see the love, see the release, see the freedom. Um, and that's my biggest dream is that my, this book would be made into a movie and then I will write a second book. But how I can be of aid to people is to be available and to share the story yes. with the world. And you, you are so approachable. And anyone that's listening to this can sense that about you, which probably explains professionally why you are so successful in what you do. And and it's good to have a purpose. And it, and it might not be that your only purpose is to sell properties. And, I mean, I, we have to be multi purposed I think, to, to have a full and complete life. We're not, we're not done. We have things that we aspire to. We have things that we would perhaps like to do a little bit better, maybe a little bit differently, maybe not so, maybe not saying yes to everything. Do you ever ask yourself, do I say yes to everything? Do I do I have any limits? Do you ever ask yourself that? Absolutely. And I think this, this time has brought about um, a desire to be to slow down a little bit. I would love to spend half of my time in Italy and half mm-hmm. of my time here. So that's another part of my dream. And I apologize if I had a little slip up there in my phone call. I'm trying to navigate to get us so that we don't run out of electric charge in the car. So I apologize if I said Oh, a, that's not a, a problem. Word. No, no, no. Oh, you know, the bad word didn't come through. Good for you because it, it, I didn't hear oh, it. Oh, thank goodness. It did not come through. But trust me, um, I do use those words just so you know. Um, but, you know, it, I think that there has to be – life has to be purposeful. And, yes, uh, there are times, and I don't know if you can relate to this, and my guess is you probably can't, but there are just days when I just want to say, I am just don't want to adult. I just don't want to adult today. And I look over my right of shoulder course. or I look over my left shoulder and I say, you do it. I don't know. How, I, I don't I don't want to learn how to do it. You know, I, I, I you know, and, and there are days when I really feel that way, and I know that. Maybe maybe a lot of us that are widowed, or maybe you don't even have to be widowed, but I, I think for those of us that find ourselves in that category, if your husband or your wife was the one that did everything. My husband, uh, Allison, my husband did all the cooking once the kids were off to college. All right. So do you think I cook? Oh, if it goes in the microwave. You know, right. um, I've got I've got this kitchen that a chef would love to be in. Okay, well, where are you? You come over and cook. Um, you know, I'm looking around. I don't see you. I, You know, there are just choices that we make. But I think for me and maybe at, and for you as well, 
we we need we, we we only go around once and so let's make the most of our lives let's appreciate what we're grateful for do you do you practice meditation or yoga or anything like that to balance your life I don't. I just, I'm too hyper to do that. Um, I do find now this new uh, addiction of gardening, which I used to despise when I was working all the time Uh 24-7. I just, I get lost in my garden. And it was Ken's garden. He started it. So I have taken care of it. I grow his tomatoes, his habanero chilies, Mm. his green peppers. And I have grown this garden, and I am very proud. So that's, that's my zen. That's my zen. And, you know, and everybody has it. And trust me, our personalities are similar in that, you know, I, I've got a lot going on. I get kind of excited, and I'm, let's just call it anxious or whatever it is. And um, I, I don't, um, you know, grow gardens, but I feed the birds. And, you know, I I feed the feral cat that's down the street, and I adopted a kitty, so I have a a fur baby in my house. And, um, you know, I I think that there there are things that we can do to balance, Um, and that's why for me personally, that's how yoga, not so much can I get into these poses, but can can I ease those shoulders down? Can I take a deep breath? Can I appreciate and be grateful and use those words and use words? And here's one, and I don't know if you can relate to this, and I say this very often depending upon who my guest is, without judgment. Can you relate to that? 100%. And self-love. Without judgment and self-love, forgiveness, all of those yes. things. And let's not forget another word that I think we can both relate to, and that's the word that starts with the letter G, which is gratitude. And Oh, yes. Don't, really, you know, I, I, I look forward to the time when you and I actually meet in person because I feel like I have a new sister. I feel like there's somebody Aww, that understands Marcia. me. But that's true. And, and, and because of our connection, do you want to tell people how you our and I... Our widowhood club. But who, who connected us? Do you remember? A beautiful, a beautiful mm-hmm. lady named Yvonne, who right. has been a dear friend for, wow, 20 years. And mm-hmm. um, she introduced me to you. She thought that it was important that we meet. And you know how I met her? Many, many no. years ago, we were in Toastmasters together. Oh, yes. Yes, and I did so know when that. I, I think that's wonderful. It, and so when I tell people that the premise of conversations plus connections equals community, that wasn't a hard tagline for me. I don't meet strangers. I suspect you don't meet strangers. And when we can connect as humans, we don't have to talk about what we don't agree with. Let's leave that aside. People say, well, what are your podcasts all about? I said, it's about my guests and the difference that they're making. And you don't know if just even one person today that has listened to this podcast says to their family member, oh, my God, I learned something today that is going to change my life, our lives, their lives, whomever. If that happens to one person, we may never know who that is, but it happens. And, and, and it's for those reasons that I so appreciate this opportunity every single week to have wonderful people just like you as a guest on my show. I am so grateful for this time, Allison. I know you're off to have a busy day in San Francisco, and yet you made an you you made an obligation, you made a commitment, and you honored it. That says so much about you. Thank you, thank you so very much for having me. And I do hope that, if not just one person, 
but many people will at least have a conversation about death, a conversation about life, a conversation about choices. You bet. It's it's important. So I would say to you as you go about your day in San Francisco, um, maybe you should have some rice aroni. It's the San Francisco treat. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) I could not resist that. I'm sorry. Oh, gosh. But... Anyway, why not left? Why not end it on a laughter, right? So I Absolutely. have a successful have a successful time in San Francisco. I look forward to connecting with you personally when you get home, and to all of you that have been listening. Thank you so very much for joining Allison and myself today. It's been a blessing, and I will now dismiss you to get on to where you're going, and I will say thank you, everybody. And please join me again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Bye for now.